Pachango. Hi Chris, this is Max, I'm 27 years old, and a month ago I found out that my wife is pregnant, and it's an exciting time for us, we've always wanted to have kids, um, but it's definitely been transformative in the way that I think about everything, um, time and life and work and all that bullshit. And that's really what it is, it's just bullshit to worry about. I mean, we're just ants on a globe. But this morning I was uh, writing in my journal, and I just thought you would enjoy a little bit of what I wrote. As I was writing it, your voice was speaking the words in my head as, as if it was aroma or one of your rants. So here's what I wrote. Um, if you could sell your time, how much would it be worth? Not exchange it, but sell it. Poof, an extra thousand dollars in your bank account, but you were shot three days into the future without any way to experience it. It's an odd question because my initial reaction is to say, no, I don't want to just miss out on those three days. But that's what monotony is. Monotony blends time together into one big mush between trips and events. Novelty has such value in that it's memorable, and it actually exists in your past. Thank you for all your podcasts and filling my mush time with some novel thoughts. I appreciate you. And uh, to everyone else out there, just... Go do something today that's new so you can actually remember it. Thank you, Max. That's pretty good advice there from a, a mush-brained 27-year-old. Welcome to all of you mush-brained listeners, ants on the rock that we are. Uh, this begins season 11, I think, of the podcast. Uh, I've started to think of it as seasons because I've noticed that in August I tend to get particularly slack, partly because I'm so European uh, and partly just because, you know, people are doing other shit in August. I notice the listener numbers go down um, pretty significantly. And uh, so people, uh, hey, more power to you. You got better shit to do than listen to the podcast. I hear that. Go do shit, right? Take advantage of August. Go live your life. Uh, happy Labor Day, by the way. Labor Day. I used to think when I was a kid, I thought Labor Day was for women who had been in labor. The whole term labor is kind of confusing, right? Like, she was in labor for 18 hours. Uh, I, I mean, is, I know it's work. It's really hard work. Um, but labor seems a weird term for it. 
um, anyway, yeah. So I thought Labor Day was about about giving birth. Like, you know, do women who have cesarean sections, do they get Labor Day off? Uh, I don't know. I was I was a weird kid. I asked a waitress once. I was probably six or seven years old. This is one of my parents has always been one of their favorite stories about little Chris. We were going to some restaurant and they must have mentioned that somebody was a virgin. And I guess the only vague understanding I had of virgins was the Virgin Mary. Like I had seen a a painting of the Virgin Mary or something. Anyway, we're at the restaurant and the waitress comes over and she was pretty and I think there was a light behind her. So it sort of created a halo effect behind her head. And I looked at her and I said, are you a virgin? (laughs) You know, the kind of question that you can only get away with when you're eight years old. I have never asked a waitress that question ever since. Um, anyway, this episode is a good one. This is a really good one. Uh, this is with Cameron Shane, who is an awesome dude. He's one of the most interesting people I know. He um, has three black belts in three different martial arts. He was, um, what was he, like an exercise? I'm not sure exactly what you'd call him. Fitness guru to the stars. Uh, there was a time in his life when he was, um, you know, guiding Courtney Cox and... Uh, and Brad Pitt and um, uh, what's Jennifer Aniston and like that whole, he was in that scene, like helping people work out and do flexibility exercises. And he was also functioning as a bodyguard security guy, uh, which is interesting because he's not a huge dude. He's not like one of these massive 350 pound intimidating chunks of beef that you see uh acting as bodyguards, he's, uh, I don't know, he's probably 5'10", 6 feet, some, somewhere around there, 180 pounds maybe. He's a trim, fit, uh, solid guy, but he's not somebody, you know, who, who blocks out the sunlight when he walks into the room, which tells you a little something about his skills. Uh, he was Charlie Sheen's bodyguard for a while. Uh, interesting job. We talked more about the, those aspects of his life in the first episode. So um, if you want to hear about that stuff, go go into the archives and find the first Cameron Shane episode. In this episode, we talk more. We know each other better. And so we talk more about, uh, we get into a bit about martial arts and what it's like to get a black belt and how the martial arts differ from one another and why you would bother getting a third black belt which to me seems a bit like, you know, those people who go and like get three PhDs or, you know, I'm, I have a PhD and an MD and I'm also a lawyer. You know, like why? Why? <laughs> How? When? Like all the questions come to mind. Um, but anyway, we talk about that. And then we get into... Um, a subject that comes up a fair bit on the podcast, which is the the question of what it's like 
to be an older guy in 2023 dealing with uh, younger people who are looking for some guidance um, from sort of masculine energy um, without, you know, in a context where masculine energy is often seen as toxic, right? Like how much non-toxic masculine energy is there and can you get away with and you know how how do we express that how do we attempt to model a non-toxic masculinity and and how do you do that on a personal level where you're sitting in a room with somebody but also on a public level where you're on a podcast or you're teaching workshops, you know, as Cameron uh, and his wife, Melaine do all over the world, they travel all over the world and teach movement and, and um, uh, this particular Budokan movement style that they've developed, um, which is based on animal movements and martial arts and uh, dance and all sorts of, they've sort of melded all these different movement, traditions into something unique and and beautiful. Um, Also, I want to say a a few words about the, the, the workshop that we did with Cameron and Melaine uh, in Montana this year was awesome. It was amazing. Um, We had a really good time up there, had a great group of people so happy um, to be involved in that. And, um, very different from last year. It's it's interesting how, you know, the the collection of people who happen to arrive really determines the the sort of tone of the experience. Um, you know, to to be honest, last year my perception of everything was kind of clouded because I got sick in the middle of it, and um, so I missed a lot, and and I wasn't able to contribute as much as I would have liked. Uh, we had a great group last year as well, not, not taking anything away from them. Um, but I think the group this year was more, and, and this could have something to do with the selection process that Anya and I aren't really involved in, but um, Cameron and Melaine and, and some of the people on their staff really put a lot of attention into what people were looking for and and trying to create a group where people had sort of convergent interests. And, um, and so this year we ended up with people who were really interested in going deep and really wanted to get into the nitty gritty, uh, about relationships and sexuality and, you know, the, the pitfalls, potential pitfalls of, uh, having a non-traditional relationship. Um, you know, how do you, how do you navigate this stuff? How do you work through these energies of, of that arise in these sorts of situations? You know, the insecurities and the fears and the suspicions and the, you know, what, how do you dial up the honesty so that you can get through this kind of stuff without falling into traps? And, uh, yeah, it's not easy. And, uh, what we were trying to do was provide a space where people could really open up and share this stuff and um, talk freely about things that 
are really hard to talk about with normal people, with your next-door neighbor, Phil, who's, you know, got a Miller Lite in his hand and he's got his riding lawnmower. You're not going to go talk to Phil about, hey, you know, my wife and I are thinking about opening things up. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, not a lot of opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, the people who came this year were just fantastic. The, the, the courage, uh, the vulnerability, the, the decency, the, the just yearning to grow was so fucking beautiful and so inspiring. And we came away from this, all four of us, Cameron, Mullane, Anya, and, and I felt so honored um to be part of this process so it was great it was fucking great um so i hope you'll join us next year we you know some of the the couples that came to this were so inspiring to us that we're talking about maybe doing like a couples only thing next year and really trying to focus on that because i think it's really helpful for people to be able to you know to to be in a room with other couples who are going through things. And, I, and I'm not saying everyone was like, hey, we want to open our relationship. That wasn't, that wasn't what everyone was after. Uh, people, some people were, were trying to work their way through, uh, you know, a hiccup in their relationship. You know, maybe there was some, I don't want to say the word betrayal because that carries a lot of weight, but there was something that happened that they were trying to get past and, being in the presence of other people who've had similar experiences was helpful. Um, uh, or maybe, you know, there are, you know, the, the sexual chemistry was kind of like lost because of illness or having kids or, you know, living with parents or, you know, whatever, all the stresses of life. How do we get back into that? How do we find each other again? Right. So there are a lot of, there's a lot going on there. And I think, you know, for my money, group therapy is probably the most powerful therapeutic um, setting uh, for mo many situations, not all situations, but a lot of situations, because it's great. The therapist is there, whatever you're sort of managing uh, things. But I think the real healing takes place when you're sharing you're you're opening up and saying, okay, fuck it. This is this is how I feel. This is what happened from my perspective. This is what we're going through. And having other people around you are going like, yeah, been there. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That in itself is so healing. So just having a space where you're with other people who aren't judging, who aren't, you know, freaking out because whatever you're going through feels threatening to their house of cards that they're living in, you know, um, that in itself is incredibly healing and powerful. Um, so anyway, there was, uh, there was a lot going on and it was awesome and I wish you'd been there and, uh, maybe next year you will be. Uh, okay. Now, before I go any further, just some, some, quick and easy stuff. There's a guy, uh, who, who lives there with Cameron, who's been working with Cameron, um, Kemba, I think his name is, uh, who showed up toward the end. We'd met him in an earlier year, really cool guy. And he and his partner have spent the last year driving around the U S 
in an RV um, and they're selling it. So they've just got back from the trip. The RV's for sale. So if you're looking for an RV, I highly recommend this. I told him I'd mention it on the podcast because I know the guy. He's an honest stand-up guy. And when you're when you're looking to buy something like this, the biggest issue is who the fuck am I buying this from? So you find an ad on Craigslist or Facebook or whatever it is, and you're like, okay, they say it's well-maintained. They say it doesn't have any problems, but I don't know this person. I'm going to leave $35,000 or whatever it is and drive away and the fucking wheels could fall off and there's nothing I can do about that, right? <clears throat> so, you know, the 95% of the risk in buying something like this is who is this person and can I believe what they're telling me? And so I just thought this is a win-win situation. If you're looking for an RV, uh, this guy's honest. He takes really good care of it. It's in really good condition. Um, it's a 2017 Thor Motor Coach Majestic 23A, whatever the fuck that is. Um, and he's asking 39000 and he's offering to pay... Let me see in this ad here. He says he's offering to pay... Subtract the cost of your flight to Montana um, from the total cost for you to pick her up. So if you're looking for an RV... Uh, and that's in your price range. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful rig. Um, and it's in perfect condition, near perfect. They've taken really good care of it. And they just got back from, as I said, driving around the whole country. Uh, so if there was something wrong with it, he would know about it. Uh, the ad is, I will place the ad in the notes for this episode. So you can just click on that. Um, it's too long for me to read the whole URL, but basically it's listed at rvt.com. So I guess if you go to rvt.com and search 2017 Thor, T-H-O-R, Majestic 23A, Whitefish, that'll bring it up for sure. And, uh, yeah, so good luck. I hope that works out for somebody. All right. I guess. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention uh, a couple things. Uh, the open thread is up for this month uh, at Substack, chrisryan.substack.com. And what I'm doing with those is I'll put up the open thread with a like a spur to conversation, just a question that's, you know, sort of banging around in my head or an issue I'd, I'd be interested to see your thoughts on. And for the first week, it's just for paying subscribers. And then after a week, it opens up to everyone. So that's been up for, I don't know, four or five days now. So it'll open up to everyone within a day or two. Um, and the open thread this month is, what are non-negotiables for you in a re relationship? Is there anything that someone could bring to the table where you would just be like, ah, I'm out, can't do that. Um, some of the things people have said are like smoking cigarettes uh, or treating a service person in a restaurant disrespectfully. Um, someone mentioned today, a recent one that was interesting was uh, this person said, um, lack of physical health. So like if somebody has, um, you know, drinks too much or, or, you know, doesn't take care of themselves physically, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to take care of you, you know, if, cause you get, you're going to get sick from this. 
I think that probably comes across to some people as a little brutal, but interesting perspective. Um, yeah. And then other people said like, nothing is non-negotiable. Like I, I, at this point in my life, I'm open to negotiate about everything. And, um, so anyway, it's an interesting conversation and dozens of people are already chiming in. And so if you're interested in reading that, go to chrisryan.substack.com. You'll see that thread. And what else? The book club, which is also open to, um, podcast supporters. Uh, it's sporadic, you know, like many things I initially was like, ah, let's do this every month. And then shit comes up, you know how it is. Uh, and so now it's kind of like, you know, when we get to it, uh, and this episode of the book club is a book I've been wanting to read for a long time. It's by Victor Wooten, who is, if you don't know who Victor Wooten is, search him on YouTube. He is a, a bass playing magician. He's He does things with the bass that other bass players go, what did he just do? He's, he's what's the word transcendent right so he's not just a good bass player it, it there's there's a sense of magic about what he does and um a good friend of mine tom gave me this book a couple years ago it's called the music lesson a spiritual search for growth through music and he said it's it's not it's not really about music it's a story that is about music in a sort of subtle way, an indirect way. Um, and anyway, the reviews are fantastic. Uh, Victor Wooten's a really interesting guy, and I'm really looking forward to reading this. And I, the point is, it's not just for mu musicians, right? It's not a music theory book or, or, you know, learn these chord progressions or something. It's a book about the spiritual side of music. I believe I haven't started reading it yet. So if you uh, want to read that, please do. And if you want to join the conversation, we will be having that probably in about four weeks in early October, I would say. Uh, I have yet to schedule it, but that's on the docket. Okay. Uh, now for those of you who are non-supporting listeners we're going to go straight into the conversation now. And thank you for listening. And thank you for your attention. And uh, you're missing out on the song that I am about to play and my analysis of the song. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's by R.E.M., which is a band that used to be everywhere. Like, what, 20 years ago? Like, R.E.M. was on the radio constantly. And they seem to have kind of disappeared um, and this is a song that they wrote about, hmm, what would I say? This is a song about, uh, about what is reality? What's real? And I would say maybe it's one of the first songs that entertains the idea of conspiracy in a way that has become ubiquitous in our culture. But when it came out, I didn't see that coming. I just thought it was a one-off, um, but it turns out to have been a warning, a harbinger. 
Hope you enjoy this conversation with Cameron Shane. Thank you for listening. Please consider being a supporting subscriber. You can do that at chrisryan.substack.com. Sending out lots of love to all of you. Well, are we recording? We are, but I can Genius. cut all this out. No, no. So let's, let's, let's just start. Yeah. All right. So I'm sitting in the uh, Budokan headquarters in the underground bunker <laughs> zone with yeah. Mr. Cameron Shane, who is uh, who is a wonderful friend of mine, a dear mm. friend of mine. Yeah, we've gotten close. And in addition to that, is a badass martial arts. I mean, how how are you described? I know you have three black belts and three different in, in Japanese karate and mm. uh, taekwondo, Olympic style taekwondo, yeah, and uh, in jujitsu, mm-hmm. which you just got your black belt this year. Just right? got yeah, just got my black belt. Congratulations, from, yeah, thank you, brother. Now, what what's that like to get a black belt? I mean, at that point, you're way past the sort of physical. You know, can you do these moves? Can you execute this kind of defense and all that? I mean, is it does it almost become a philosophical question at that point? Like whether the other black belts believe that you're just ready to join that very elite club or or what's happening? I mean, each uh, style is like a language. And so as you're learning the language, you're also uh, developing a, a real you know, a real, uh, in, in the, the world of language, you're becoming fluent. Uh, taekwondo does not look like karate and karate doesn't look like jujitsu and jujitsu doesn't look exactly like judo. And so you're becoming proficient in each of the languages. So as you start to speak that particular language fluently, then you, I think, you know, and again, each culture, because I, I, martial arts has also got a cultural aspect to each of the styles as well. Taekwondo is Korean. Uh, the uh, traditional Japanese styles are, are from Japan, and then you've got Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is barred from Japan, but has been you know really um, filtered through the Brazilian surf culture mm. and their vibe. Is there any? Um... Uh, what's the what's the Brazilian martial art? All the like circular kicking, capoeira. Capoeira. Yeah. Is there any of that mixed into the jujitsu or not? No, capoeira is is very much a standing, uh, striking, acrobatic striking style. So there's lots of kicking and striking, moving right. across um, acrobatic sort of patterns. But it's not really very practical. It's it? not. It, it it requires a lot of. It can. It can require a bit of space mm. to at least um, practice a lot of the patterns in, and uh, it doesn't translate well to a you know to a grappling or like a mixed martial arts environment. Um, if if unless the capoeista, I want to say this properly, it's not my you know my style. Um, unless those guys have been trained. Uh, more broadly mm. and can adapt and which is very possible mm. to adapt it to that environment right. and then they can be very very um, i mean because if you consider how how skilled and acrobatic you have to be to move through that practice right. it's not hard to imagine that you can just tune that differently right. because you're an athlete a very high caliber athlete oh now oh you just want me to do this now instead no problem 
yeah. I broke your flow. You were you were talking about how each of these arts is is very culturally uh, defined, yeah. and um, the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is totally different from the other. So, so are you saying that? what qualifies as a black belt is different in is each different of these in cultures. each one yeah right. and that's why you you know you commonly hear oh the person's got a black belt in taekwondo and for some people that could just mean you know really nothing that they got a that they that they got a black belt for learning all of the curriculum they learned mm. the katas they learned these fundamental things and and they're they've never had to prove it in, in, in any kind of sort of combat condition, mm. um, which you find is different in each uh, sort of micro culture within the cultures. So in other words, Taekwondo is not just Taekwondo. Taekwondo is all of the different variations and iterations of Taekwondo as they exist. So you've got Olympic style, you've got the old Kwans, the Muda Kwan, and all, so all these, these you know, and same with you know, karate, different styles of karate require culturally different things from their uh from their students so what would make a black belt in each system is is quite unique Mm. um some of the modern um versions of that would be like george st pierre from the ufc very famous fighter he came from uh, a japanese karate style uh kyokushin kai which is known for very strong hard sparring Mm. standing across from another guy and just going and trading strikes to the legs to the body to the you know to the head so pretty aggressive then you might have a different style that's much more about you know uh, uh, um, just the form and the technique and the development of sort of, of of mind and character and and that you know so they may and they may may not be mutually exclusive you know um so you so i think so brazilian jiu-jitsu the way that I learned it and the way it's sort of culturally done now is it, it needs to work. You need to be able to fight with it uh, as a black belt or you, at least where it is right now, or you're going to walk into an environment and someone's going to go, oh, you know, you're a jujitsu black belt and they're going to run through you mm. or they're going to try to. Right. Depending on, you know, if you're, you know, properly trained. So you need to be prepared that, um, uh, you know, when someone, when you put that black belt on in jujitsu, it, it is, it's a signal that, um, for the young up and comers, like you like to say sometimes, uh, it's a signal for them to test themselves against you. Mm. They're like, okay, let's see, let's see where I'm at against this black belt. <laughs> uh, so it actually makes you kind of a target for rather 100%. than limits. Oh, you're not yeah. off limits at all. You're <laughs> you're you're a testing mechanism right. for these guys, which again produces tougher black belts because mm. everybody around you is trying, you know, to they're trying to see where their game is using you know again using you as a measure as right. a standard. Like, okay, this is a black belt. How do I do? How's this working against this black belt? So. There's that's the thing about that I still love about Brazilian Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that you have to be, um, it, it, there's there's sort of this unspoken implied rule that you must be able to be competent and be able to use it. It cannot just right. be Practical. a thing where there's theory. there's no kata I can show you. 
Right. Does that make sense? And yeah. you just, I can't yeah. get out here and demonstrate. And you go, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. What, what is that? This is like, no, okay, get on the ground with me right. and now try to kill me. You know, try to choke uh, me. And there, are there like levels within, like Don, 10th Don? Well, there are levels of skill and, and belt and, and stripe levels within. Like my teacher, Shanji, like when you roll, because you know Shanji, when you roll with someone who's like, you know, an eight-time world champion and they're, they're, you know, a legend in the sport, you can feel the level difference. Right, but it's not delineated. You're not like a second Don black belt. Like I know in some martial arts, they delineate within each belt. In this case, you are you get your black belt, and then depending on the amount of time you've been actively teaching and contributing to the jiu-jitsu community, uh, that, that next stripe comes. I see. And then time goes by, and the next stripe comes. Okay. And eventually you get to uh, a coral belt, uh, which is the uh, basically the the highest rank, you know, and then we just stop given. and then they just, nobody gives a shit. Yeah. It's yeah. like you got more than $10 million. You're rich. Shut the fuck it's up. It. It's just, yeah, it's, it's at this point. Private jets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, it's all, it's all pageantry now. <laughs> exactly. We're just, you're just, you're 85 years old. Here's your coral belt. Yeah. You've been doing it a long time. Right. But some guys get it younger when they're like maybe in their sixties oh, and like, really? they're still quite dangerous. Mm. They're still, you know, very you know it's not just old old guys that get it right so yeah but so this this leads to what we're talking about in the car and 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 something we wanted to 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 touch on in the podcast by the way i I think uh, we'll call this the uh, first in the the council of elders series yes it's our new uh we'll get together and and a couple of you know, grizzled silverbacks. Yeah, I'm just talking, <laughs> talking shop. Yeah, who's shop yeah. and shit and and whatever else comes. Up. Yeah. So we were talking about that we live in this age where, um, especially in the podcast world, and I think in your world, are mm-hmm. also in the martial arts world, and, and there's a lot of overlap, right? Obviously, Joe Rogan has the biggest podcast in the world, and he's also a, a jujitsu. And happens to, be an, think, happens to be a commentator for the UFC. Right, right. So, of so course... Like, he's a central yeah. figure in this. I, I think, and, and we've talked about this before, but I, I think, you know, unfortunately, we live in a, a fractured time, a, a time of, of a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. a time of a lot of uh, um, breakdown of, of family, of education, of institutions, you know, like uh, I can't find an institution that hasn't lost the respect of most people in mm-hmm. the last 20, 30 years mm-hmm. from the military to politics, to banking, to religion, to uh, science. Yeah, everyone's disillusioned. Yeah. yeah, like everything yeah. seems to be full of shit. Yeah. So people are looking for answers and and the particular audience that you and I were talking about is young men. And I think a lot of people who come to you for training in jujitsu are really looking for guidance in life. Yeah, impressionable young men and women in all fairness but yeah. but a lot of young men that are impressionable and that that got you and I, you know, as we were chatting about the Andrew Tate thing and how you know how he ended up being having any cultural you know significance at all um but we were talking about in a time of uncertainty he's a certain voice right 
and and you know whether he's again a truth teller or he's uh, you know he hits some and he misses some um he's certain and i think that these young people are in a world where no one's certain if that information is you know 100% accurate or not if they can trust this institute or not people like a Jordan Peterson and people, and I don't mean to put these guys in the same category as, as in their integrity. Right. right. We're not just, we're saying, not making value judgments. No. We're just saying these are, are people who profess to have answers. A hundred percent. David Goggins, like right. Joe Rogan, anybody right. who, Tim Ferriss, uh, Sam for Harris, sure, you know, for yeah, sure. Right. Sam Harris. Yeah. All these guys who, in a world of uncertainty, you know, world, <laughs> where do you find answers? Exactly. I mean, that's really what's going on is like, you go to these guys and, they flush out ideas. They flush out, uh, to your point, the, the nuance of things. You're always, you know, advocating for nuance, um, and then they, and then they advocate for a position. I mean, they they are, you know, they they argue aside. I mean, you know, they don't play. You know, Sam doesn't play neutral. Right. Sam. Religion is uh, bullshit. Absolutely. Right. And, and 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 this is that, and this is that. He, I mean, he'll flush out an idea. But he's got an opinion on it. Right. He's got a position, and he's certain, and that's what people want. And you know. so, how do you feel about that? Like you, you were raised in a religious household that you had to step away from at a certain point. That was all about certainty. I'm certain this is right. the way. But I guess you must have been certain that it wasn't in order to step away from. <laughs> I it, was. Right? This is the thing. I wasn't certain. I was seeking, and I was. I was always. In some way, I was always disturbed by the nuanced um, contradictions that exist within Christianity. It's it's subtle stuff. It's just like, well, wait, 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 wait. Did, he said what? And, and wait a minute, he's and he's and he's living this. But he's got that. I mean, the, how does this? You know, this seems contradictory, or this doesn't seem. Oh, well, I mean, you know, we don't question the. Right. The Bible. We don't. Th- this is a different. I mean, and you there's have always to have faith, my son. Yeah, there's always some. There's always some way that they justify it that that, that never made sense to me. Totally fine. M- m- that's a lot of people's experience. But uh, what I think I did appreciate, I did appreciate the certainty of a, a Jesus character. He was certain in the sense that you know he was certain that you treat people with love right right so so let's break it down because you know we were going to try to talk about certainty as a concept and Mm -hmm. and clearly i mean i think we're in this weird position where we both recognize that there's a a yearning need for certainty Mm -hmm. but both of us are very uncomfortable with certainty (laughs) right right. because it feels it feels like you're now in a container you can't there's there's no room Or, or it's an invitation to corruption Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me to profess to be certain about something is to lie. And and maybe it's a small mm-hmm. lie. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a well-intentioned lie. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it puts me on the path to becoming a total charlatan. A tyrant, too. And you a, know? Yeah, a guru, tyrant, you know, abuser, whatever. Um, so to the extent, I'm no biblical scholar, but to the extent that Jesus himself was certain, I would... I would guess that he was certain more about behavior mm-hmm. and ethical things mm-hmm. than he was about any particular ideology or 
religious fact. Yeah, well, the irony is he was certain that you needed that you needed to love people and and be patient and forgiving and not judge, which is what invites discernment, right? And invites uh, just the, you're using your discretion. So how do you be certain without judging? Exactly. And I think that was the, that's the beautiful, that was some of the stuff I really loved about, uh, the traditional teachings, you know, and is, is that there, you, you have to flush that out mm-hmm. and you have to discuss it. And that's one of the things that I did enjoy, uh, as a young person about, um, you know, church, was this this container where you could discuss? I mean, God, I, I grew up talking philosophy. It was just religious philosophy, right. and and talking about all of these moral dilemmas that these characters were going through, which is really interesting because you're you, you know you'd sit in a group and you would literally you know debate. Well, why did he choose that? Or he could have done this. What you know? What does God say? What does you know? What's what you know? What's man's um, you know, center of gravity, which way do we just naturally lean? And then you can argue these philosophical points, which, which come up in a, in a good open container like that. If you've got the right environment and, you know, I, I got lucky. I grew up in a Christian environment where pastors be like, Hey, you know, we don't have all the answers. You Mm. know, sometimes you just got to have faith. You don't, you don't, you you can't Mm. know it all, but it was never like, you need to believe right. this and if you don't believe that you know you're going to hell it was just more hey we don't know all the answers right. we're just here talking about it and what's your heart right. tell you to do right. i heard that about a million times so humility kid. seems to be an essential element in this right mm. like mm. you can be certain about certain things about yourself Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you start applying those externally and saying, okay, I believe this, therefore you need to believe this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lack of humility there that, that starts to become kind of dangerous. Makes you feel safe. Right. And which right. I think is, is exactly what we're concerned about is that if, you know, if I can get you to agree with my position, now my certainty uh, becomes dogmatic and, and, you know, you know, unmovable. And that's the concern is that, you know, you have a group of people who all agree with each other, uh, almost emphatically, you know, and, and this is to me, um, this, that the mob mentality, and you talk about it all the time, the mob mentality is the greatest threat to, I think our, you know, our, the modern, uh, culture is is how quickly we can form a mob and how quickly mm-hmm. we can you know buy into an idea. But I think that you know people you know for us it's like if if certainty you know if certainty needs to be a because I I do like as a martial artist I need to be certain mm. in moments I have to take action I can't mm. I can't sit and ponder this left or right. It's happening and it's going real fast right. in, in, when I'm when you're, when you're fighting. So you count on certainty, but philosophically you have to also understand that whatever direction you traveled in, it didn't produce the right action. It just produced an action. Mm. There is no right action and wrong action. There's just action. You know, obviously humans have. You know, that's the game we play. But you and I both know universally there, there's no right and wrong in action. It's just a neutral force. So things occur. 
and that occurrence we then define as good and bad and right and wrong and sin and whatever. But to me, that's the practice I have to do as a man, as a human being, as a homo sapien. I have to constantly sit and work with that idea of I, I need to be firm in my certainty, but I also have to understand that whatever I'm certain of is not absolutely right. It's just a direction. Mm. But I still need to be certain. I still need to be certain. And maybe I'm going and I'm going to produce this or that. And neither are going to be the perfect ideal, but they're going to be something. Right. So that's interesting because you're saying, if I understand you correctly, you're saying I need to, you, while grappling, right? Something happens. He grabs me here, this, you know, whatever. He puts his weight there. I need to move. I need to respond from a place of certainty, mm-hmm. which we might call lack of hesitation, mm-hmm. lack of uh, self-questioning, mm-hmm. doubt, whatever. I no guess doubt. A, a lack I like of that. Doubt yeah, lack of certain, doubt. Yeah. Right? But you're also saying, I do that with the understanding that this is going to lead to consequences I can't possibly predict. Mm-hmm. And so there's a humility to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's a, it's, yeah. it's a combination of knowing and not knowing. It's a combination mm. of, of sort of assertion and acceptance of your own ignorance mm-hmm. of, of what the future holds, right? What I, what I find so interesting here is how readily everything I've seen in jujitsu becomes a metaphor. Mm-hmm. so quickly mm-hmm. like every Everything. fucking thing Everything. you guys do it's yeah. like i see life playing out i see yeah. marriages playing out i see the aging process playing out i I see you know interactions between humans and other animals playing out it's like it's so metaphorical it's it's really interesting right if you think about what you're witnessing just objectively you're witnessing the struggle of you know of 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 forces acting right. acting upon each it's other it's almost it, it even includes imit- like uh, inorganic material yeah right it's like yeah. water over rocks that's or something it, it doesn't it's matter like, yeah it's it incredible does, yeah, it's really it, interesting yeah and, and, and that's the thing i think that a lot of people don't they just don't understand this about martial arts because again it gets reduced to something that looks you know too violent or it, it looks like something that, that you know it someone witnesses and they go, I don't connect to that. I don't have that um, desire to, uh, to be aggressive or violent with another person. And I think what people are missing is that you're already aggressive and violent. <laughs> right. That's, it's, it's like a pre-existing condition right. in you know, DNA blueprint. You're already aggressive and violent. The, the fact that we don't understand that we're already naturally violent and aggressive but that um, if you if you bring that part of yourself to the forefront and you have contact with it and you build you start to build a relationship with it, it's not so rough and raw and feral. Right. You, you want to domesticate your violence, right? And you know, this whole time we've been talking that we've just finished this this retreat where we're talking about jujitsu, martial arts, relationships, sexuality. I think the same thing, you know, to, to talk about the metaphorical value of this, same thing can be said of sexuality, mm-hmm. right? You hide your sexuality, mm-hmm. you 
you you bury your your fantasies and your urges mm-hmm. and your desires and all that you push it down push it down push it down what happens it erupts at exactly the wrong time in exactly the wrong context with probably the wrong people and it ruins your fucking life this has come up a lot for me this week i mean I, i've had a hell of a week with with experiencing this because you know, and I've talked about this, you know, uh, my partner's got a couple, you know, uh, my wife, Melanie, she's got a couple fantasies and we've talked about them where, and, and, you know, m- me experiencing my own resistance and, and also realizing like, okay, what don't I know about myself? Cause you know, one time her and I were at this, uh, little sex club, you know, Is having, she going to be cool with you telling uh, the story? I, oh, I think so. Oh, sure, okay. sure. So we're at this little sex club and we're having, we're not, we're just, you know, we, this is the first time we've gone to one. We're just, right. you know, we're having, we're out there just checking out the scene and, uh, you know, there's, you know, an open invitation for people to be sexual in, 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 you know, in, uh, in public. And as I told you in this story before, um, when, you know, when it was, when Melaine was like, well, that could be fun. I just, I just locked up. Mm-hmm. I just froze up. I was like, Ooh, I, I mean, I had an immediate visceral response of like, Ooh, that's not, that's not, that doesn't seem fun to me or erotic. It, I just, I got, I got tense, right? you know? And it's interesting when I look at that based on the work we've been doing this week, it, it, that's what you just said a moment ago, really, uh, really makes me want to work to, to like I tell people to work on experiencing their violence mm. this work has made me want to work on experiencing my sexuality right bring it into the light. bring it into the light mm. and go you know okay what's what's the harm have this fun try this out play this this isn't nothing and I think that's the that's the thing that a lot of people can't wrap their heads around when they're starting to explore some sexual variation to just, you know, old fashioned monogamy. When you start to go, look, what if you do go have some wild experience? It doesn't, you know, it's it's, okay. Everything's fine. You know, it doesn't, I think some people think once they've done something, there's no undoing it. Right. Like they've lost their virginity. (laughs) There's no, they'll never get it back. So he took my virginity. Oh my God. So what, if we go have a threesome or a foursome or a 12 sum or whatever you're going to, now you're one of them. Now you're exactly, there's no returning. (laughs) And and I think that's interesting because it's, I think the same thing comes up in martial arts. Well, once I start, you know, getting violent. Once I start getting aggressive, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, I could get more aggressive. Right. I could turn into a kind of person who wants to Maybe fight. I can't control it. Maybe I can't control that. Maybe I don't. But isn't the trajectory the opposite, really? You're much more likely to be able to control it if you're familiar with it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, I mean, and, and this is, this is what, you know, I think, you know, speaking to certainty, it's like, okay, I have to be, I have to be certain that, you know, I can explore parts of myself that I'm unfamiliar with. And I also have to leave space to say, okay, that's okay. If, if, if I'm not, if I'm not, uh, if I don't find that genuinely and sincerely erotic, it's okay. And I don't have to stay right in that room. There's no failure. No, there's no failure. Exactly. I think men in particular are, uh, really intimidated by this kind of stuff because they're afraid they won't be able to get it up because they're going to be 
distracted, mm. they're going to feel insecure, you know, whatever, mm. and then okay. it's going to be a big failure. So, I mean, I don't know, this podcast, I guess, isn't, you know, how to go to a sex club. No, but no, no. but I, I do think that, that men need to understand that your dick getting hard is not the barometer of whether or not you're having a, a an enjoyable sexual experience mm. or mm. whether she is, right? right? And in fact, you getting, it's one of those things in life that, the more you obsess about it, the worse it gets, right? Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of things like that in life. It's, it's again, very metaphorical. And the, the, you know, when you're able to just be like, eh, that, that, whatever, I don't care. Let's, let's just watch. Let's do this. Let's, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, let's hang out. In 20 minutes, it'll be a different situation. The more you're able to do that, you're actually expressing confidence and strength of character, that is way more attractive to women than whatever the fuck is happening with your dick, right? Mm-hmm. And so we could talk about that in terms of you know other stuff. Um, one of my favorite studies, and I, I should really look it up because I refer to it a fair bit, but I don't remember who did it or where it was. But it was a study where they were showing women photographs of men. So it's like the same 50 guys, right? That they just photograph them in different clothing Mm. and then they had the woman like just you know flash the photo and how attractive is this guy and so they had the same guys dressed in suit and tie business attire right and then they had them like in uh you know whatever casual and they ran all these photos past all these women and as predicted the women said that the guys were more attractive when they were wearing business clothing because it signified Mm. success financially or whatever, right? And then someone had the clever idea of saying, okay, let's run this test again, but now we have three sets. We have these guys wearing business suits. We have these guys wearing casual stuff. And then we have these guys wearing, like, not dirty clothes, but, like, I don't give a fuck about Mm -hmm. this fashion, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, the kind of thing you know, a painter might wear. There might be some paint and it's a loose shirt and whatever. Hair kind of must up and not, you know, maybe a three-day they haven't shaved in a while. Like, And so what they're trying to signify is winner, loser, outside of the whole game. Okay, outsider. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the women, not all, but a lot of the women chose the outside guy mm-hmm. as the most attractive of the three, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely... I feel like a lot of these young men who are looking to Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson or whomever, they're looking for a way to win the game, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. you were saying when we were at the coffee shop, you're saying, you know, a big part of the appeal of someone like Andrew Tate is he's got the Ferraris, he's got the mansion, he's got the private jet, right? The images, the images, I figured it out. I've I've learned I can win this game, Mm -hmm. but there's another level where you're beyond the game. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what I think both you and I are trying to speak to. Mm-hmm. There's a level where you've seen through the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to sound arrogant or something, but when I look at Andrew Tate, I feel compassion. Mm-hmm. I feel sadness. When I look at Elon Musk, I feel sadness. When I look at Tiger Woods, I feel sadness. Like, okay, these guys are excelling at whatever game it is that they're embedded in. Mm-hmm. But they feel bad. They're not happy because they haven't gone beyond the game, mm-hmm. right? And, and I, I mean, they're they're in the matrix. They're yeah. And, and what, exactly. what's disturbing is that 
to me is it somehow like an Andrew Tate would he would tell you that he's operating outside of the matrix that the because ma- he's he, his his argument would be look I'm I'm exposing you to the matrix don't you see the truth don't you see what the, what's really going on and it's like how can you be advocating for that kind of clarity while at the same time participating in the in 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 the consumption of the very thing that you're you know suggesting is the poison you're consuming it like anyone else you're not osho and producing it. well you're producing it yeah you're not osho who's who's like to me like osho was funny to me and he's like you know osho's got what three, seven well, rolls, rolls royce yeah and he's like he's like okay he's like why do you you know why do you take these cars like why not he's like people keep giving they give them to me, me. i, I mean <laughs> exactly and you know the thing is but here's the thing osho didn't give a fuck if he had them or not right whether he had a a Rolls Royce or not Andrew Tate cares if he has a fucking right. Lamborghini right you know Conor McGregor cares if he's got a gold Rolex you know and a Lamborghini boat yeah uh, the, the, these in, that's the difference but I think people they, they even these guys probably would confuse that and go well look at Osho he had seven Rolls Royces and you're like I think you're missing the point, right. for, you know, from him. Mm-hmm. Same thing that uh, Sri Nasagarata was talking about. He had a you know student from I am that. He had a student show up mm. um, to ask him some questions. I am that's a. I don't know if you're familiar. No, with. No. Yeah, it's one of the great, uh, very very well, highly respected spiritual. Uh, texts that of, of of contemporary texts. Mm. Um, it's uh, it was a he was an Indian shopkeeper who just built this incredible following by, by doing nothing. He didn't leave. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't he didn't advocate for anything. He was just people would go there and speak to him and be like, "How the fuck does this guy, this little you know cigarette smoking Indian shopkeeper, how does he?" have this kind of consciousness this is just it makes no sense and he well first he said well i just trusted my teacher my teacher told me to understand just simply understand the concept like i am i am that i am this and in in by doing so i just trusted what he said and that's when he died that's what i focused on he didn't leave any spiritual teachings he was just like i am that and like so to understand what that ultimately was is you know he, you know this understanding that uh you know being that i am uh if if i get caught in i am this and i am that i can't be i am because i'm i'm stuck in that and this and so it's like recognizing like this 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 identity uh crisis that we have it was his work like like destroying the identity just continuous destruction of identity so that you know so the guy says one of the young guys shows up to interview him and he goes so let me ask you a question what if you know someone gave you money to you know a bunch of money to start your ashram would you take it and he was like maybe and he's like well also you do have you do have desire you do want possession you know you do he was like well if they gave me money and i 
and the money would go to jobs for these people around here and it would feed their families and it would build ashram. I see no problem. You know, like his, his logic was what's, you know, there's no, you can't trap me by tr- trying to figure out if I will take possessions, if I will accept material possessions because, you know, that's just the nature of the matrix. Like people right. are giving and taking and, and bartering and, you know, and co- just commerce is occurring. So I, you're, you're suggesting that if I'm involved in commerce in any way right. that I'm corrupt, right. but that's not true. I can be like my consciousness involved in commerce is not your consciousness involved in commerce. Right. The question is not what material things you happen to have. The question is what have you done for them? Right. What have you traded for them? Right. Right. And how, and from what consciousness do you manage them? Right. Do you right. share and them? Because often what you've yeah. traded is your conscience. You've traded <laughs> right. your peace. You've traded yeah. your self-respect. You've traded your dignity. You've traded your hours of your life. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it reminds me of a story about a Buddhist teacher. I, I think it was a woman, you know, in Tibet or something. And, and she went to Europe and, uh, you know, they went to this monastery in Germany and, you know, and, and they were expecting this very, you know, very silent and, you know, and she was laughing and she was telling jokes and like sexy jokes and, you know, uh, and then, and they're like, who is this lady? Like, what's going on? This isn't at all what we expected. And then they had, um, partridge for dinner mm-hmm. and they served her this partridge, this whole bird. And she was just like chowing down, like ripping this partridge apart and sucking the leg bones and slurping and everything. And they were all just like, what the fuck lady? And they roll in their super vegetarian. They're like, they've renounced meat and right, violence and, right. and, and sex and everything else. And, and somebody said to her like, uh, you know, I don't remember her name, but there's like, uh, we're surprised you're so hungry. And she's, we thought you'd be more like into meditation. And she said, when it's meditation time, meditation. When it's partridge time, partridge. <laughs> when it's fucking time, fuck. I mean, it's like. Yeah, it's about be yeah. here now. Yeah, 100%. Right? Yeah. Be in the moment. So, yeah, that guy's like, oh, what if someone is yeah, like, yeah. Uh, then I would be in that moment. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, you just can't imagine that someone with this high state of consciousness is, is able to navigate because you can't imagine not being greedy right. and not being selfish when given opportunity you can't imagine he's not doing the same thing because you know after all he's a human being but i think that's like saying imagine that you and me look the same when we're doing jujitsu and it's just not true because to me and again this is my perception this is you know my opinion which is that human consciousness is a muscle. It's a skill. I, I do think there are certain things you just tap into certain things you're born with. Yes. All, all the, uh, like sort of the uncontrollable unseen things that are mm. occurring, but then there is the, there is the seen, there's the felt, there's the awareness of, of consciousness. That is, that is a muscle you can, you know, exercise. Yeah. Generosity can be exercised. Forgiveness can be exercised, you know, and all these things can be, you know, strengthened. This is my personal belief. Strengthen those things. And I think Nasagarata had just strengthened these. He had, he just strengthened his ability to go, I am. Right. I'm not that. 
I'm not this. He trained himself for years. I mean, when they were interviewing, the man was 80-something years old. By the way, this is not a 25-year-old dude. He's 80-something. It's a man who's like spent time sitting quietly and doing his work. And I'm fine with trusting this guy Mm. with a billion dollars. Do I trust Elon Musk with a billion dollars? You know, what, what's his consciousness going to do right. with that many resources? I mean, I, you know, is he, is he evil? No, no. But I'm saying, has he developed, and this is a problem with contemporary, you know, economics and society, is that we've got people who have very underdeveloped consciousness with extreme amounts of power and wealth. It makes no sense right. in a time, I mean, probably, I mean, is it any different than, than the past? I don't know. The only difference is the global effect that these guys can have versus the local effect that, say, a, a bratty little fucking prince would have in his little kingdom mm. when he was just born into wealth and power. Right. He, he, only, he only affected a, 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 a maybe you know a thousand-mile radius. But Elon Musk affects the entire planet that can speak English and pay attention to, you know, the nonsense that comes out of his mouth around, you know, let's get to Mars versus let's figure out this problem. Let's obscure the stars with all my fucking satellites. Uh, It doesn't matter what language you speak. You could be in Mongolia and you're like, what the fuck is that? Did I tell you this story me and Kimba? One night we're out by the fireplace, you know, Mm -hmm. we're in here in Montana. You can, there's no light pollution, so you can Mm -hmm. see this. And we're... Sitting, you know, we build a fire, looking up, and and there's this, you know. You saw the line. Oh my God, the yeah. thing goes by, and this is when it first launched. Yeah. And it goes by, and I looked at Kimba. We both looked up, and I said, "Are you seeing what I'm seeing?" Yeah. And because it just looked like stars in a line yeah. moving, yeah. and I said, and I was like, "What the fuck are we? See- what are we seeing right now?" Yeah. You know. And then he he. Uh, he quickly Googles, which is so ironic that he, right. he gets on his phone and goes, boom. He goes, oh, it's the you know, Starlink Star satellite parade. Literally, it's termed the parade right. to show it off. And I'm like, you know. Anya and I were in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere. Camping no, another, out yeah, another fire, beautiful. Same yeah. thing. Looked up, saw that. We're like, I have no idea what that is. We didn't have any phone coverage, so we couldn't Google it. Were you we, not a bit for a moment? Did you, because I, 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 I'm not a... I'm not the biggest alien guy right. or conspiracy but guy, but it looked like it an, really an alien, did. like army it really invasion did. or something because it was full. a squadron. <laughs> it's a, it's it was full on fucking bizarre. I was like, yeah. "What am I seeing?" Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really threw me. You know, but but I think that I think that you know, going back to what young men are looking for and 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 what young men are trying to do. It, it, what concerns me is the amount of effect and power that young men can have on the world now compared to what they could have on the world pre-industrial, uh, you know, w- w- in any time in history. A young guy with, with powerful resources now, you know, has a powerful effect. I mean, I don't lose sleep over it. I'm just making the point that if there's any cause for concern, it would be the effect a person can now have uh, that used to be local. Right. You know, in the way it can, um, you know, find its way across the entire planet. And I think that young men, you know, hearing all these guys like uh, these, these guys out there that are, that are, you know, doing their work. And again, not to be critical, because like, as an example, I like Sam Harris. 
you know, I, I'm a fan. I listen to Sam's mm. podcast periodically. I think he's very intelligent and he's very thoughtful. He's caring and he, and he, and he advocates for caring for people for sure. Um, you know, do I, do I agree with, you know, every position, you know, but that doesn't matter. doesn't, I, again, um, I think Sam himself even advocates for being disagreeable in that way. Don't, don't agree with me. Just, you know, you know, but and until he, he did get, he did have that, he did get pretty, um, stubborn around the, the COVID vaccine thing. He got pretty stuck. He, he got really strong on that position. And I, that was the first time I saw a lot of his fan base have conflict with him. Hmm. It was the first time I saw like people, like a lot of people really pushing back and going, because they didn't feel, they didn't feel he was as neutral Hmm. as he can oftentimes be when approaching a subject. They felt he was very much an advocate for this position. He kind of got into schism with the Weinsteins. Is that right? Like they, they were very out there uh, as far well, from my perspective out there. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I don't honestly, I don't really follow any of them. Mm-hmm. And you know why? Because to me, they're too fucking certain. Okay. That makes sense. I hear that. I mean, I, I respect Sam Harris and, mm-hmm. and people I know who listen to him and, and read his books mm-hmm. are constantly telling me I need to read his books and listen to his but every time I listen to Sam Harris, I just feel I and I think I'm limited by this. I I'll, I'll take this as okay. you know, own this. Um, but I get I like almost have an allergic reaction to someone who is certain, o- overtly certain. And yeah. Sam Harris is so like he is. Very you either certain. agree with me or you just don't understand the issue. Uh, and it's fair. like, dude. No, there are ways to disagree with you with a total understanding. Sometimes it's you who doesn't understand the issue. And I feel like he doesn't acknowledge that possibility, which makes it impossible for me to fucking engage with him. I think you're, I think that's accurate as an example with his work. Uh, if you take his Trump, his position on Trump, he's very, very, very clear that Trump is a, you know, is a terrible uh, person and he's completely narcissistic and selfish and, and self-consumed and, and, and you can't budge him, you know, yeah. from that. And, and he, and, and he, and I see his point too, because he's like, you know, a lot of people play that very, that, that, that game with Trump where they're like, ah, oh, you know, he's, you know, he says some crazy things and he's a, what a character, right. but you know what? He's a great businessman and he's, right. he's going to, you know, he's, he's good for, good for business for America. And, and so they, they excuse the behavior and he just doesn't, he doesn't allow any of that. And I respect that. Um, I, but to your point that he's, his, his certainty for me, um, gives like the way I hear it and the way I use it is I listen to him like, uh, a professor who's lecturing on a, on, on a subject. And I, and I already know that I, I may or may not agree. I'm just going right. to listen to the lecture right. and I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take from it what I take. And that's how I approach all those guys. You know, you're as you, you're really the exception to that because you do play both sides very well. And, and so you're more of a, you, you, you have a more compassionate way to listen to, to content. I think that um, Sam 
is an, also an, a bit of an alarmist and he's less like you and I would be like, well, you know, the, the earth, this is, you know, this is where it's going. This is what's happening. I'm not going to lose sleep over this. I'm going to have a good life. I'm going to be happy. And if the whole thing goes to shit tomorrow, then it does. But he's, I think of the mindset and there are people out there, him like, no, I can stop this. I can affect this. Mm. I can interrupt this. And so we have to be, we have to be, this is urgent that yeah. we deal with people like Trump, that we deal with it and where you and I are more like, are you kidding me? It's going to be another Trump as soon as this one goes away. Yeah. I, I sometimes feel like that lack of urgency and, and moral clarity is a character flaw that I have. <laughs> well, then I guess we share that in a character because <laughs> I'm like, do. fuck, I also don't <laughs> yeah. feel. But, but, but then, is you that know, a character? I, I, you know, that's an interesting question. Is that a character flaw? Okay, go flesh that out. How's that well, a character well, flaw? Well, I, I mean, you know, I'm very good at justifying myself, my own weaknesses and, true, and flaws. So, true. so yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like, am I drinking my own Kool-Aid that I just okay. made? And true. The, you know, I, I, can, I, I, I mean, yesterday, that. you know, you and I were talking about working out and I'm like, I got a million reasons I don't need to work out, dude. <laughs> like, look, let me yeah, start, great. you know, and, and I hear myself and I'm like, you're full of shit, dude. But, you know, I see your point. And uh, anyway, sometimes I feel like, you know, you know, I'm friends with people who are out there sitting in trees and protesting and getting arrested and, mm-hmm. you know, bringing lawsuits and, and like making documentaries and mm-hmm. You know, they're fucking, they're actively trying to change the mm-hmm. course of history. Mm-hmm. And I have a certain admiration for that. Mm-hmm. But I personally am repulsed by the certainty that is required to do that kind mm-hmm. of shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, you know, it's like a war. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, you, if you're coming and shooting my family, then I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. If I can, but you're trying to take control of the libidium mine down there that, you know, the supposedly is a strategic mineral that we need to like, ah, I'm not going to Vietnam and, you know, like Muhammad Ali said, no Vietnamese ever called me nigger. I'm not going to Vietnam. I'm mm-hmm. not killing anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have any enemies over there. I kind of feel like that. It, it's, I don't know. It's really hard for me to to gin up the certainty necessary to go and get shot at by fucking riot police or, mm-hmm. you know, like spend a year of my life being outraged. It it's it I I am selfish and it comes back to like that's interfering with my ability to enjoy this life. Mm-hmm. I have trouble believing it works. And, and it's in I'm cynical. That's my problem. Right. Personally, I, I go, I don't believe it fucking works. I don't. I think a lot of the people doing it are doing it in order to find community and to have that amazing feeling of I am right. I am on the right side of history. I'm on the right side of this war. And fuck, I don't know. It's hard for me to find a war where I'm certain which side is the right side, if either. So for me... I'm feeling, I feel the same way. And I, 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 this is where I sometimes feel in conflict is that I'm trying to be, you know, I'm, I'm working to be some kind of role model and, 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 and I, and I have to admit 
it'd be easy to sort of sidestep that and go, oh, you know, you're not, you know, no one's paying it, but it's not true. You know, I, these, these folks come to train with me. I sit down. I, you know, I talk about these issues. We talk about um, what it takes to be a great teacher, what it takes to be, a, you know, to be um, a great human being, to become a martial artist. And, and so character development, it, it's just part of the conversation. But I feel sometimes like a hypocrite when in, in some, you know, one moment I'm like, you know, you know make your bed, be disciplined take care of your space, take care of things, take care of each other. And oh, by the way, don't go, pro <laughs> protesting doesn't work. Like, you know, interference. Cause I, because in that for me comes up and I'm like, is that a flaw? Like you just say, is that a, is that a character flaw in me where I'm, where am I, am I too lazy? You know, like, is it, is it an issue of just, I'm just like, nah, I, I don't want to do it. But a part of me is like, I don't believe in it. Right. I, I don't believe that, and, and someone might say, bro, what about the the civil rights marches? What, what about that era? What about, you know, do you think that made a difference? And, you know, it's it's impossible to know if it, if it in fact did make a difference because of course it's just very easy on the surface to say, you know, people marched, that produced, you know, attention on, onto this subject, this, and then there were some adjustments made by the powers that be. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, that, that if, if the civil rights marches had not occurred, that we would not have like, okay, is an example. Right. You don't know what would have happened. No. And also there's been a backlash. So now you're like, oh, would Reagan have happened? Okay, ex exactly. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, yeah. Well, as an example, did marijuana get, did marijuana become legalized because we all marched on it? Right. It didn't. It didn't. And it in didn't. fact, you could argue marijuana became illegal because Nixon was looking for a way to demonize the anti-war protesters and and his you know that Ehrlichman said right. that's why we made drugs illegal. It wasn't because of the drugs. We knew the drugs weren't dangerous, but it was a way to target blacks and hippies, Genius. mushrooms and marijuana. Right. There you go. And so look at the the unforeseeable effects of you know good intended right. intended uh, right. actions. So I, you know, and I think that that's something that you, you know you and I get along so well on is we're just kind of like. We we're so cynical, but at the same time we're so hopeful. Right. And it's like this bizarre. Yeah, it's a weird combo. Combo because it's like, man, I love the world. Man, I love humans. Man, I love this and I love that. And then God, I hate people. God, yeah. I'm over people. God, yeah. I'm, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like humans as individuals. I, I'm down. Right. You know, collective, but collectively, <laughs> Jesus, as a species, could, could you fuck it up anymore? People? I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And um, we, cause we were talking today yeah. about institutions, right. Not having any sincere intention to actually make any differences. You know, they're just, they're just self preservation. They're parasites. That's it. They're, they're, they want yeah, to survive. Some sort of weird parasitical life form. Yeah. And so, so I, I, why would a lot of young people be lost right now? Why would a lot of young people be like, I don't know what the fuck, who am I supposed to believe in? Right. What, you know, what can I, be? okay, this guy's certain. Yeah. This guy's got, seems to have like a strong moral compass, a strong, 
idea of you know rights and wrongs like it, it reminds me again of a jordan peterson like like this is the right thing this is the wrong thing and here's my argument for it mm. and 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 you know his his certainty around it is so um you know emphatic which is totally fine again he believes in it i get that um is he trying to gain a position of power and authority like is he running for office he's not so in in a way i i look at that and i go okay you know that that's not that's that doesn't bother me this guy's got some strong opinions and ideas which are very reasonable and many you know many of them are very reasonable um and you know some of them are a little different than i might see things um same with sam yeah sure. but, but we i think i think right now what how because you said in the car you're like i wish more young folks would follow sort of your path a little bit more than 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 the andrew tate path well, uh, yeah i was yeah. saying like to me you would be a much better role model because you've got you know i think a lot of these guys are looking for healthy masculinity right Right, and they look at someone like Jordan Peter. Well, not Jordan Peterson so much, but Andrew Tate. Obviously, yeah. he's a you know serious martial artist. He's yeah. a kicker, and but you know here you are three black belts, and a far more nuanced, subtle, you know, uh, self-deprecating, humble approach to life. I wish that had the appeal, but as you say, it, it doesn't, doesn't because you exactly. are not certain. Because I'm not and certain. You know, and people this, in yes. an uncertain time, people are desperate for certainty. Yeah. But that's fascinating. But that's the yeah. conundrum. And and then, you know, in getting to what you were saying earlier, I was thinking when you were talking about the civil rights movement and the unintended consequences and all that, I was thinking about the old adage that all politics is local. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think... You know, we live in this time where people are concerned about global issues, global warming and, you know, forever chemicals in the water and, you know, all this, um, which is legit because, as as you said, it's no longer the crazy little prince in Bhutan who's fucking everything up in Bhutan. It's, you know, the crazy little prince in Saudi Arabia who's fucking up the whole world, right? right? Um, and so it's legitimate to have global concerns, I think, but the the realm of effective action is still local mm-hmm. and and you know and this is something anya deals with a lot in her podcast the millennials guide to saving the world it's kind of a joke title because what she's advocating for is what can i do in my circle of friends in my relationship in my in my own psyche right in my family in my community that maybe will ripple out and have effect. But I feel like, in a way, this, these global concerns, the tragedy is that they distract us from action that could really improve things for us and the people around us, right? If I'm, if I'm watching YouTube videos about, you know, I'm obsessed about what's happening in Sudan and Maui and... Uh, you know, Mozambique and, and what am I doing with my neighbors? What am I doing with my local community? What am I doing with the, the homeless guy, you know, that I step over on my way to the protest? So I, I, I feel like even though what's the, the adage is think globally, act locally. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because you can't see any global effect that you're going to have. Maybe Sam Harris thinks he has a platform where he can change the world. I personally don't think any of us are going to change the world, but we can change our world. We can change a world for someone that we know personally and can reach out and actually embrace or feed or teach, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. People people say to me like, "Oh, you've got this platform. You should do this and you should do that." And I feel like the minute I start thinking that way, I I just feel I feel lost. Yeah, it seems like that's a trap, you know, in its own way because the certainty that you're, you know, that direction is the right direction takes you, you know, ultimately down a path where you are playing God and it's just an impossible, I think it's an impossible mission because I I just look at the world and I go, you know, we've come so far away from these 100, you know, 50 to 120 deep. Right. Dunbar's number. Troops of groups. Where we all know each other. We're so far away from that. And, and, and that, that, that it's impossible We've created an impossible system or matrix. I just keep always called the matrix, but the, the matrix that we created is clearly so far away from our nature and what is natural that just that, that creating solutions for the problems that it is 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 just futile. It's silly, and I think that's that's something that you know we we're, we're aligned on very uh, strongly is that. Why would I get in get into that into that facade and play the game within the facade? Like, don't you get that the marching's all part of that? That mm. the protesting's all part of that? Right. That the politicizing and, and and oh, I'm gonna this team, that team. Like, it's all part of the system that I identify as complete bullshit, and that is is corrupt in every fucking way. And it, it, and it can't be what we came from. And yet we are still that animal. We've not evolved into a different animal. We're still that animal. We still need to be touched, loved, groomed, you know, cared for. Yeah. We still fuck, fight, and eat in a Lamborghini, you know, it, with a push of a button. It's this, still the same ape. Yeah. And I think that this this is absurd that for me sometimes to get caught up in the idea that I'm going to jump into that thing that is so much bigger than any single person and have any real effect. So I don't even, I don't, and that to me, that's more Nasagarata. Sri's kind of vibe. It's like, I don't need to do anything. They're like, why? (laughs) The student said, why don't you, with all this wisdom and knowledge, why don't you go and teach, go and, and preach? He's like, Why? What would it? What would difference would it make? Right. There's no difference because you. He goes because you know your perception is that I can make some difference in the short term. And he goes, but you don't. You know, obviously you're not. You're not a witness to the grand scheme, which is all this is futile. This is all temporary. This is all silly. And see, I'm in that consciousness. For me, everything is fully expansive and 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 foreverness. And you're in this limited 
box of like, this is now and this is urgent and this matters. And I don't exist in that consciousness. Mm. I see way down the road. And so I'm, I don't feel any sense of urgency. So, so what do we do? How do we, <laughs> cause you, cause exactly. we're like a couple of guys clinging to a floating, you know, log. <laughs> Our ship has gone down. We're out in the middle of the ocean right. and we're having this chat and we're sort of agreeing that water is an illusion. <laughs> right? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like we're right. In a way, we're we're right, but also all this shit's happening. It is. It's real, and we and you know we're engaged in some ways. Both of us are. It's how much it matters. I'm arguing is how much. And Shri was arguing is how much it matters. Right. Not whether it's happening or not happening. So we should still engage. Just don't take it too seriously, and don't 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 think you know the outcome. Exactly. We're back to certainty. Right. You know. Do you know? Act in the direction you feel compelled to act. But don't be attached to the outcome, right. which and is this be, old. And, and be be humble about your uh, motivation, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're not right. Yeah, this is not, not righteous right. cause. Yeah, right. so you can step down on that. <laughs> yeah. You just, yeah. yeah, off that. Don't scream yeah. that loudly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I often when 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 swimming in these currents of conundrum, I often think of Saint Augustine. Uh, who was a, a Christian scholar in the you know early days? I think in the Roman times, who said, you know, when asked these questions like, "What should I do about this? What should I do about that? How can I?" Blah, 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 blah. He said, "Love and do as you please," hmm. which to me is, "Are you coming from a place of love?" Are you coming from a place of kindness, compassion, decency? If you are, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're not, we don't need to get into specifics. Mm-mm. Which is so interesting because that's the difference in modern contemporary philosophy from these young, from the, all these, these, you know, contributors is that there's this, here's the answer. Here's the thing. But, but a lot of the ancient, scholar approach it was was more filtering as you said through a, a sort of a i don't know if it's a moral like love is a moral position or i don't know the right way to phrase this but come from the heart just right. say, saying it basic come from the heart and no matter what you do you did the right thing according to what you could do right you can't do more than what you did right and you you can't be sure what's right and wrong and good and bad but you can come if you come from the heart and so that's where to me that's the distinction between some of the new thinking and some of the old thinking we've lost a bit of that old that old farmer wisdom yeah, you I mean, it reminds me of, of photography. I had a photography teacher once, very briefly, and I remember him saying, people, students were saying, well, should, I don't know, should I do travel photography or should I do architecture or should I do this, should I do that? And he said, he said, stop asking me what you should take pictures of and start asking me how to use a camera, right? right. Like, Because if you love using a camera doesn't make a fuck what you're shooting you'll figure the content (laughs) is irrelevant yeah that comes later first let's let's look at 
the activity and, and the motivation and cleanse the, the lens of your spirit. Work your shit out before you start trying to tell other people how to work their shit out or how to change the world, right? Right. Like, who says changing the world's a good thing, by the way? Most of the people who've exactly. changed the world have just fucked it up, exactly. as far as I can tell. Hitler changed the fucking world. You know, make a list of the 10 people who changed the world the most. And I'm going to say at least nine of those are going to be for the worse. You know, it reminds me, you know, the story of Abraham Lincoln when he was approaching the issue of slavery and, you know, what types of solutions uh, were on the table. And one of them was actually sending everyone that was African-American here back to Africa. Yeah. And he wrote, you know, th- th- he wrote about that. And, and, and it's interesting that a lot of people, modern contemporary scholars in this field are very critical of that and felt that that was a racist position to take. But when I hear it, I don't hear it from that perspective. What I hear was a contextual perspective. Go back in time when it wasn't that long ago that we brought these people over from their fucking land. And he goes, maybe we should send them back. Mm. Well, that's a goddamn pretty good solution in some way it doesn't it's not as abstract and bizarre as i think if you really think you're like okay well then because his argument was we're just different and and where he was what he what he was speaking to at least this is how i interpret it is we were different culturally not different as humans we're different culturally these guys come from a completely different culture than this culture and to try to blend them together has proven to be very you know questionable uh, you know how they how they did how, you know success rate of the blend i would argue is is you know some wins and some losses but um it's it's to me the intention uh, of of the, these ideas of consciousness of making decisions around things that you just don't know because what if Lincoln had advocated for that and that's what happened what if they had said okay everybody anybody that's a black American if you we're you know free trip back home everyone you know (laughs) I'm just saying you know everyone's you know we're going to free you and we're going to details need to be worked out obviously (laughs) obviously but I'm just saying the general idea of we're going to free Right. These folks, we're going to send them, or at least the opportunity. The opportunity. Right. Not who would forced, like, you know, who would like to go? Yeah. Talk about changing history. Yeah. Who knows what would have occurred there? Who would have stayed? Who would have left? What that would have changed? It's fascinating. Instead yeah. of instead of judging it, being more curious about. Wow, that's fucking interesting. Right. Instead of going, oh, this guy was a racist. Like I don't really think that's a racist perspective. Well. And also, like, you know, what's racism in 1860, right? I mean, that's <laughs> a whole you. different world. Thank you. I mean, I think that's pretty goddamn liberal yeah. for him to be like, look, there's no good, bad enemies. There's no rights and wrongs here. These are just yeah. different people. I mean, he's and he's acknowledging we owe them something. 100%. Right? Which is, you know, that's a pretty radical and progressive idea at for that time sure. in history. Because yeah. he certainly wasn't popular. Yeah. You know, but the idea that, hey... 
what if we what, yeah. what and, and that which to me is what we're dealing with right now is not real racism in the country we're dealing with culturism we're dealing with I don't like this culture. This culture doesn't, you know, these two cultures don't do well together. Yeah. They, 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 you know, they bump up against each other. Well, and also racism is constantly used to distract us from class consciousness. Exactly. You know? And that's what, right? Right. It's, it's class and culture. It's, you know, cause if we really thought about class and, and real power, then things start, yeah, everything looks different. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so the powers that be are constantly, you know, trying to get the, you know, animal farm, right. Get, get the chickens to hate the cows, to hate the pigs, because right. man, if they all got together, there's a lot more we animals than there are farmers, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm reminded of the, you know, that adage we're talking, it seems like we're talking a lot about unintended consequences here. You know, there's, there's some Chinese story about the guy who the kid like wins a horse in a in a competition and they they go to the monk and they say hey look he won the horse isn't that great and he says the monk says well we'll see right and then the kid's riding the horse and he falls off and breaks his leg and they say oh no the kid fell off and broke his leg isn't that horrible and the monk says well we'll see (laughs) you know and then there's a war and all the young men have to go off to the war but the boy doesn't because his leg is broken and they say, Oh, he's so lucky. He didn't have to go to the war. Well, we'll see. Right. And it's just goes on and on. Like you never fucking know, but this There's is no way. Right. To know. And that is the perfect metaphor for life. Right. We'll see. And that's why certainty yeah. is so fucking dangerous agree, because agree. we're working from this assumption that we know what is going to happen. We know even what has happened and we don't, we're all fucking, you know, stumbling through a dark room, barely aware of what's happening, what's happened, and and what could possibly happen. And in one, and in some ways, we're celebrating certainty. In some ways, we're advocating for its demise. Like in in the world of uh, sort of uh, interrelate, you know, interpersonal relationships, male female. We don't want males to be certain. We don't want them to walk up and go, "Hey, how are you?" What's you know, like w- w- there's a there's a pushback of like, don't be certain, don't don't approach me with so much certainty. Don't yeah, and again, assertive. I, yeah, don't be a, exactly. Right. And yet that's a core element right. to, to sort of the male bravado is to be certain. Well, but, so, so, I mean, I think that this is a good way to sort of try to put a bow on this, right? Because the whole time we're talking about the humility of accepting the uncertainty of life. And yet we're also kind of certain that we're right about the best way to accept the uncertainty or the, the importance of accepting the uncertainty. And so, you know, the guy who walks up to the woman and introduces himself with a lot of self-confidence, if there's humility within that self-confidence, if there's sense of humor and an acknowledgement of the absurdity of life and, and that I have no idea, if all I know is I like the way you look, I don't know that we're actually going to get along together. I don't know that we would be good sexual partners. I don't know that you're even straight. You know, I don't know anything, right? So there's I feel like like the best expression of that sort of masculine energy you're talking about incorporates humility but not shame. Right, cuz it might be sort of phrased like this. I'm certain I'm worth your time. But I leave space to understand I might not be your type. Right. 
That kind of thing. Exactly. Right. And, but that is a very challenging thing for, for a lot of young people developing themselves to sort of own both states. Can right. I be hard and soft at the same time? Exactly. You know, how do I find that, that, that perfect balance? And let's be honest, you'll be clumsy when you, when you first start. Right. You'll, you'll, you'll make lots of mistakes learning to be certain with humility. The best thing when you're doing public speaking, in my experience, when you get out on stage and you're fucking terrified, which you, I always am, every, I think everyone always is, very few people are comfortable walking out on stage in front of a bunch of people. But if you say, God damn, I'm nervous right now. That, I've never found any technique that reduced my nervousness in front of people better than admitting that I was nervous. Right. You know, and I feel like that's what we're saying. Like, yeah, walk out on that stage, you know, be prepared, walk out on there, be ready to, you know, do your job, do your job, do, do your it, work, you know, yeah. say hello to that woman, go for that job interview, you know, confront that thing, that person you need to confront, confront your fear, whatever, but with that kind of self-deprecating humility of yes this is hard for me anya and i were talking about courage and she gave me some quote she said courage isn't the absence of fear courage is fear walking right and to, to me our, our young generation is struggling with failing gracefully mm. there's there's this unrealistic idea that's been sort of you know perpetrated through out uh, th this new social media age that you know um, you know everything again on your social media looks perfect like right. there's no problems everything's just you know done and so i think the idea of being imperfect the idea of making mistakes the idea of failing is is you know not it, we're not graceful at it like I think we once were. It seems to me that there's like you've got to, like you said, you've got to be certain to walk up to the girl. You've got to be humble to enough to recognize you might not be, you know, interesting to her, but that has nothing to do with you. Right. And then you got to walk away without telling yourself you're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, and, and, right, and and this is very hard to do. Yeah, no doubt. It's a balancing act. It is for a sure. super difficult thing. But what? How to walk away and and not, you know, and, and not beat yourself up or not buy into negative uh, the, the 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 this the self because um, this isn't positive self deprecation. This is more like self talk that is trying to declare and confirm, you know, you're not worth having what you want or what right. you, you know, I'm talking about the ability to walk away and go, well, you know, that like, I'm an interesting guy. She doesn't know that mm. we spoke for two seconds. She didn't, she doesn't know who I am, but I know I'm interesting. And I thank God I had a great mother because she mm. made it very clear to me that 
I'm the greatest thing on the planet. <laughs> and so, so I believe her. Right. Just like Shree said, my teacher told right. me this. My mom said that to me and I believed her. I'm like, she's like, you're amazing. You can be anything. You can do anything. And I believe her. And I believe I'm amazing. And I believe I'm a great human. But I, I, it comes from my heart. Because I also, I tell people, my students this all the time, I might rip your ass. I might get, in, you know, I might dig into your shit. And I might come, you know, it might be hard. But I tell you this, I sleep good at night even after I have gone in and ripped apart some of your behavior, you know, your, your personality, your behavior, because I love you and I know I love you and I'm clear. I love you. And eventually you'll get clear. I love you, mm. but <laughs> because, but this is how I love, I love through the process of interruption. I'm here to interrupt you. You came here to be interrupted. If you wanted to come here and be celebrated, oh, wow, you're, you're so good. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Good job, Bob. Wonderful. You know, that, that's, an, that's just no silly. No value in that. No value in that. You came here for me to see what you don't do well. Right. Now, you might like for me to be very gentle when I critique that, but the problem is some of the things that you do are, are they require a different approach because you're like my first approach with a person, let's say they interrupt something with, with just because they're just, uh, habitually, um, cause we'll have group sessions. We're speaking and someone will just raise their, you know, or not even raise their hand. They'll just blurt out something that's clearly not thought about, you know, very selfish thought interrupting someone else's, um, maybe work, and I just, I fucking stop the train. And I just like put the brakes on. I look over. I'm like, I'm like, see you, that's your shit. And you, and sometimes I just rip hard in and because those guys, they have gotten away with this pattern and it's become even unconscious within them, they don't even see who they're being. Mm -hmm. So, so to be, to, to do a full, you know, session around th this blind spot for them, sometimes just, just, it's, it's like, like Osho's work or something. Somebody just, somebody sits across from you and goes, you are such an arrogant fuck. You know, you know, some of their sessions where they would mm -hmm. literally look at each other and just, tell me what you, tell me the worst things you see in me. Mm -hmm. They just look at each other and like, you're arrogant. You think you're the fucking, you, you believe that I, and you're like, Whoa. your mother told you were, you were the best thing oh, ever. Oh, for sure. <laughs> exactly. And, and which is fine, but you know, you're using that information the wrong way. Right. Now we got a problem. Right. So for me, I feel like those opportunities in life, we don't get enough interruptions anymore. We mm. don't. Once we, some, sometimes even parents aren't interruptive enough. School's no longer interruptive. Nobody's, you don't get paddled. You don't get, you know, it, it's, you know, mm. everybody's afraid of everybody. Mm. You know, I, I, someone once said the, the school board is afraid of the teachers. The teachers are afraid of the parents. The parents are afraid of the kids. Mm. <laughs> and you, you, if you look, you're like, you know what? There's some there, that's not completely wrong. Yeah. It's like, and, and if everybody's afraid of everybody, then how can anybody be interruptive? You know, and so I feel like that's something that's very important 
to the process of 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 learning uh, and of failing like let someone correct you let yourself be adjusted let yourself be put in you know be put in a new uh, posture even if it's a little bit you know difficult you know be okay with not having it right with not having the answer to me that's the, one of the most important things for young people out there is like are you good at being adjusted? Are you good at being a student? Right. Or are you walking through like, like because you've got a degree from a university, you walk in and you're, you know, my buddy Scott, he's like, he goes, every one of these kids, they roll in. He works for a big ad agency in Miami. Huge, huge. They do big, big projects. He goes, you know, these kids roll in. They've got their degree. They're, they're demanding, you know, six-figure salaries. And he's like, well, what have you done? Like, well, I haven't done anything. I graduated from so and this, and this is, and I looked it up on whatever these fucking salary sites are that says, this is what you should be making mm. if you are doing this. And then they're like, and they walk in demanding, and he's like, it's insane. Mm. They, they don't have any experience, yeah. but there's this, there's this sense of entitlement that we've developed in, like, you don't fail your way to the top anymore. You just start there. Mm when we came you, you failed your way to the top and and which made us both good at self-deprecation because we, we we've i can make fun of me because i know i can be a complete idiot right, <laughs> you know and, and right. absolutely and i and you know yeah yeah and again martial arts and i'm sure there are lots of other i know there are lots of other ways to get this lesson but i think martial arts is a great one because you know when you're talking about failing <clears throat> you're talking about can you be adjusted I watch you guys roll around. That's what you're doing every second. Every second you're adjusting. You're, oh, that's not working. Oh, okay, let's try this. And your partner who's, you know, going through the sort of enacting domination in a way of you or you're enacting domination of your partner while you're working out, you're both moving toward the same goal. So the failure is the learning process. Right. Oh, yeah. And when you're, as you're, if you don't fail, I mean, jujitsu is so much about what not to do to your point, Yeah. what not to do. And to me, that's why jujitsu is an incredible metaphor for life. Cause so much of life is what not to do, but you don't know till you do it. Exactly. Right. And, but, but our culture is so fucking violent and so aggressive toward mm. mistake making and right. like cancel you, you know, unforgiving, like, unforgiving. Thank you. Yeah. Unforgiving for the process of maturation for young men and, and women, which is like, you know, I, I, it's, you can't, that can't be sustainable. Right. We're going to, and that's what I'm afraid of. We're teaching people how not to fail and how not to learn because we're making them afraid of it. So, you, you know, and that's what going back actually to the point that I started, I was like the, the whole me too came out all this. It's like, I can't, can I, can I walk up with certain certainty? Can right. I say or, or not? Because if I fit, I, then am I a, am I a sexual predator? Like it's insane. Yeah. Can I tell a woman she looks beautiful? Absolutely. Like, how, how did, how did that become offensive? It's like, <laughs> yeah. ah, I don't understand. How am I a sexual world? predator now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the fact that, oh, and we can't. We and all that stuff's you know completely gone out of say the um, the office. It's like yeah, you want to take away, uh, you want to strip an entire part of your humanity out of a place you spend most of your day. 
Right. The, the entirety of your day, you and start. like almost everyone you know. And everyone you know, you start yeah. there at seven, you're there till, yeah. till six and nine. Oh, but I can't be me. Right. I can't be a human. I can't look at someone and go, oh, you look beautiful today, Barbara. You know, yeah. whoa, 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 that, that's inappropriate. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't compliment anyone i can't talk what i can't tell fucking freddie looks good in his new suit either you know fred handsome suit you know look <laughs> whoa 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 you know yeah. and it's just it's like where are you know yeah. where are we and that always feeds back to you and i like our cynicism of like i don't know how you go back like my one of my favorite things you've ever said is there's just doors you can't go back through mm -hmm. and i love when you said that it's like yeah that's that's life right there there are just some doors you walk through and there's no going back it's a ratchet that's it. The ratchet effect. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, brother. <laughs> <laughs> see you next year. Yeah. It or not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hope you enjoyed this first episode of the Council of Elders. <laughs> no answers here. Just better phrasing of questions. Other, otherwise known as old men bitching. <laughs> old men complaining <laughs> about the world. Uh, love and do as you please, people. Come from a good place and, and you'll get to a good place. Be certain about that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Cameron Shane, Budokan. Love uh, you, brother. Working, so happy to uh, be What's here. the name of your podcast? Oh, Guru Killer, but I don't. You're Guru the podcast. Killer. Yeah, you're the no, podcast. You do a podcast. Man. I was just I, on it. I know. That better be a podcast. That's serious. <laughs> Those weren't fake mics we were talking <laughs> exactly. into. Exactly. I just wanted to talk to Chris. I'm like, hey. Guru uh, Killer. Can you be on my podcast? It's really just a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's what we're talking about, right? Why why do you kill the guru on the road? If you that's see it. the guru on the road, kill him. Why? What what's the meaning of that story? The certainty, right? That's the, it. The guru is Don't the guy be, who thinks he knows it all. That's it. Don't be as soon as yeah. The the monk. That's all comes from the monk is meditating, and he sees the Buddha in his mind, and that's the moment. And he's like, oh yeah, here it is. Here it is. I'm I'm arriving, and they're like, oh, that's when you kill it, because mm -hmm. now. If you don't kill it, you then do that very clever thing of identifying as it. And now I am that. Ego. And I am this. Right. And that is the ego. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation
If you wanna be free, say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.